Hi, this is Dawn Shereen. This is my podcast, Dancing with Bipolar. Today's special guest is Sharice Jewell, author and mom of three. Her book, Crazy, Memoir of a Mom Gone Mad, has been out for a little under six months. Um, I suggest you go and check it out. But without further ado, here's Sharice. Hi, Dawn. Hi, how are you, Sharice? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Super well. You were like right on it. I'm so glad because sometimes I wait for guests for like a couple minutes and it's like, man, you are you are prompt and I love that. <laughs> I, I know try you not to disappoint you. right off the bat. <laughs> not even close. Not even close. Okay, so um I did a little brief intro prior to this, but I didn't actually like um give away any of the details about you or the book or your life. So um, if we just want to start out right now, you just give it a very, very, well, it doesn't have to be very, very, but a brief um, synopsis of your life um, from, you know, just of your life. And then um, if I want to interject in, in um, and I will. <laughs> okay. Sounds great. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so not knowing what parts you said, I might overlap a bit, but uh, okay. we'll overlap. Okay, yeah. I'll start with, I was born in South Africa and moved to Canada when I was seven years old. We moved to Mississauga, Ontario, which is just outside of Toronto. That's where I grew up. Um, I went to McGill University in Montreal, which is in Quebec, for anyone who doesn't know. And um, that's where I met my future husband. And we went on to have three kids together Um while I was at McGill, I was studying mechanical engineering. So I became a robotics engineer yeah. and I worked for about 15 years before we moved to Calgary, which is in Alberta, which is all still in Canada. And um, it was there shortly after my 40th birthday that I had my first really severe manic episode and I was diagnosed with bipolar one. Uh, this was in 2017. And then mm -hmm. The following year, I had a second one, the exact same weekend, Mother's Day weekend. And um, so shortly after that, I started to write my memoir to try to figure stuff out for myself and also try to help other people who are in a similar situation. Okay, cool. Um, and so, and are you, you're still in Canada now, right? You're yes, still in I Canada? am. So I moved, okay. we moved back to Toronto um, in 2018, shortly after my second manic episode. Yeah. And I wasn't sure if that's where you guys were still, still yeah. hanging out. So you're, let's see. So are you, I don't want to talk a whole lot about your kids, but um, because of the Canada thing and the listeners know that I'm like an avid hockey fan. Um, <laughs> awesome. So I am, I really am. So like you got the, you've got it made like living in Toronto with the maple leaves. Like, oh my gosh, I can't even. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I guess so. Except that being a Toronto fan in Toronto, you don't get to go to many games. It's really hard <laughs> to be a fan here in Calgary. It was actually Oh, Edmonton, yeah. <laughs> well, the I mean, Oilers, it was, yeah. Crazy, but it was yeah. way easier to be a fan. Why? Well, just you could get tickets to games. You could go. It was a oh. Yeah, there weren't, there wasn't, there weren't as many people all fighting for the same amount of seats. I guess. All right. Well, that makes no. That makes actually that makes perfect sense to me when I think about it. It's like, yeah, you've got one of the one of the original six teams. Like, it's like, of course, they're going to be like, you know, at a at a premium for tickets. Yeah. Okay, what, so what team do you support, Don? Well, I really still love the Boston Bruins, you oh, know, because okay. I came, yeah, I came from back east, but um, I have to kind of support our Coyotes here in Arizona, though I've never been to a game yet, um, <laughs> you know. But they are they are an expansion league from um, oh my gosh, I can't. They're not. I think they might have been the Nordiques, but I'm not I think exactly that's right. sure. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. 
so because I know Gretzky had a lot to do with that. So um, anyway, <laughs> so, yeah, I think they're the old Nordiques. But either way, I haven't been to a game. But, yeah, I love the Hartford Whalers when I was back in Connecticut. I mean, they were my team. I had season tickets for five years. And then oh, wow. when they were. Yeah, then they moved to North Carolina and became the Hurricane, and I had a choice of either the Rangers or the Bruins, and I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. There's actually, like, there's no problem here because I'm always a Boston girl, so. Well, then we're was... kind of rivals. Like, I don't know. <laughs> if well, are you, if we're Toronto you and you're Boston, then I think we're Oh, no, but Toronto is, I mean, as far as the original six goes, my my gosh, you know, I love all the original six teams, so, I mean, yeah. we have we have no problem there. Um, and then yeah. the Blue Jays. And going into you know. playoffs, I mean, once the – where we support all the Canadian teams. I actually really love the Winnipeg Jets. I think they're mm. like often underdogs who are, yes. um, yeah, they're awesome. So, and then yeah. the Canadians last year, like I think my whole family turned into Canadians fans for the first time. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, it kind of happens, right? I mean, I haven't, because of my situation right now, which isn't, it's not, this is your podcast. Um, But, you know, I haven't like really been keeping up much on sports or TV in general. So, um, but, you know, I do try to keep up with it on like Google and stuff like that to at least know who's in the playoffs. And I was I was sadly lacking this year, but last year and then plus COVID kind of took everything out under our feet, you know, oh, so really? it's like yeah. the seasons even are and yeah. all that. So And it was just okay, so exciting like, to cheer for anybody, really. <laughs> exactly. Right. A live event. Oh, my gosh. There's not cardboard post outs in the middle of the stands, yeah. you know, I mean, stuff like that is just amazing. <laughs> So, you know, maybe maybe at some point in time we can meet in the middle ground and go to like um oh I don't know like the Stanley Cup playoffs maybe we can have them. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds awesome. I would love that. Yeah, I would love that too. All right, so let's get a little bit into the meat of your book. Um, I loved it. I I nearly finished it last night. I had about sixty pages to go, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you I did read the last chapter to try to see if there was a catch up to it. Um, so. If there's not, you're going to catch up with me right now. Sounds good. So, we, and I don't want to give the book away because I really want people to buy it. It's called Crazy Memoir of a Mom God Mad. Uh, her name is Sharice, C H A R I S E, Jewel, J E W E L L. And it's on uh, Dixie Books, but you can find it on Amazon and all the usual suspects. And um, I highly suggest you pick up a copy of it because um, as much as we're going to touch on the interview, reading. The way she writes is just amazing. She is a prolific writer, and um, I was really, I was really happy to receive the book and start to read it because um, I get a lot of books, and they're not all as um, enticing and um, riveting as Sharice's book is. So I highly suggest you all go and uh, sell her out. So um, wow, thank you, Don. I'm like welcome. blushing, and I'm just glad there's no video here. <laughs> That's so flattering. Thank you. It's so. So true, though. I mean, it really, it, it really was. And I, I was reading it on a disciple trip to Zion. And so I was like reading it on the bus on the way to Zion. And like, everybody's like, look at the scenery. And I'm like, but well, my friend is about to have this happen to her. This happened to her. <laughs> so, That's pretty good competition. I've actually been yeah. to Zion. And I'm like, I'm seriously flattered that you're reading. Yeah. You. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. So she starts her book out. Um, with her first um her first recorded meltdown but i wanted to ask you prior to the mother's day um compost dinner situation yeah. was there any other indication like prior to that that now that you've had some time to look back on it and think that oh, um sure, there might have yeah. been some there were signs so yeah. do you want to just briefly give people yeah. you know people my posse some some indicators that they might be able to look into or people that are listening to this who love people that they think may be bipolar um 
that you know because i think that we're probably going to have some in common but i want to hear from you what what you saw after the fact after yeah. you know okay sure. so okay. yeah so the very first thing i i can recall as being my first sign was um I had a hypomanic episode in January of that year. So I had never experienced hypomania to that degree before. I had experienced depression and, you know, periods of excitement throughout my life, of course, but they were always related to something, um, you know, a baby being born or like some, some kind of sadness for somebody dying or something. But in January of that year, it was the first time ever that I experienced um, just a really great mood for a prolonged period of time. So we had gone on vacation and come back to a Chinook, which is when these warm winds come in over the mountains and basically melt all of the snow in Calgary. And it's like, plus like sometimes double digits for about a week, anytime in the winter. And so as you can imagine, you know, Calgary is brutally cold. This is a period of like excitement for everybody it wasn't just for me but at that time for me I was very happy we'd come back from vacation we had this beautiful spring-like weather for me as a person with bipolar and for many other people I'm affected by season changes quite drastically Mm -hmm. so uh, November is the worst month for me in that it's when I'm most gloomy and usually May is when I'm the most um, just alive again I just come alive again in spring So this time period in January, it felt the same as spring where I was just suddenly alive and the trees were beautiful and the sky, everything was beautiful. And I couldn't sleep. That was the biggest indicator of any kind of um, manic episode for me in hindsight. So for about a week in January, I was only sleeping about three or four hours a night. And I was really perplexed by this because I'd often had insomnia, I'd say through my whole life, as long as I can remember, I've struggled with insomnia, but never to that degree. So The other kind of conflicting feeling that made it a bit peculiar was that through the day, I had a lot of energy, even though I was only sleeping three or four hours a night. Um, It actually felt kind of like after I'd had my babies and my sleep was starting to get back to normal and I would have really great energy after a night of only four hours of solid sleep because I just wasn't used to that again. So in January, that started happening and I was starting to be like, this is kind of weird. Like what's going on. But then it kind of broke. Like I I like to, I kind of think of it as like a fever that broke and I suddenly Mm -hmm. slept through the night and I felt like, Oh, it must've just been related to the Chinook. I don't know what it was, but I'm fine. And then in May, the same thing happened. And so I was thinking, Oh, I guess this is just like in January, except now it's really spring. So, you know, it'll be fine. It's just the same thing again. But then I started to feel more symptoms that in hindsight, I can recognize were not typical for me. Um, Mostly it had to do with my senses, like everything Mm -hmm. was just brighter, everything. I could hear different noises very distinctly. I could smell things from far away. Like everything just became I was kind of hyper aware or hyper alert about everything. Mm -hmm. And then I started to also become really creative. Um, Like everything I was doing was artistic. And I've always been kind of a doodler. And I mean, I like to write. I've always enjoyed writing. I always wanted to be a writer. But this was a different kind of creativity. Everything just kind of was exploding out of me. Um, And I couldn't. I couldn't do anything to stop it. So in hindsight, when I see those things, I'm like, right, that's, those were kind of the first signs. But of course I had no idea. I'd never experienced it before. Right. Well, I mean, or to that extent, because 
yeah, because I mean, the, the bipolar thing is like, it's just the extreme on either end. And you have the bipolar one um, diagnosis, which is more, much more on the manic side. Um, and I have like, I have, I've, I've actually experienced some serious mania back before I was um, diagnosed. And um, I would stay up for like literally weeks on end making quilts because I loved to quilt back then. And I would come out of it. Like you said, it's like the like you just wake up from it and then I would fall into such a deep depression. But in the meanwhile, right. I'd be like, who made all these quilts? Right. And I mean, I would make like up to 30 like baby quilts. I mean, still still making quilts and be like, who did this? You know, and then all of a sudden I'd be like, oh, my gosh, what day is it? What week is it? What month? And it'd be like, oh, my gosh, right. I just lost all this time. I mean, I produced something, you know, but it was like, you know, and then, you know, in like last time. Well, we'll get into this too, but well, we'll just last time I got manic was due to my non-compliance on my medication. Me too. Which is what, <laughs> yeah, is what happened to you the second time. Yes. Um, so I mean that is that's a huge thing. And I guess we're just gonna jump around. So um just, we're just gonna we're just gonna do this. Okay. So um so the second time so the first time you went inpatient, um I mean, it sounds it, it was horrible, but I'm going to tell you, it doesn't seem as horrible as the second time you went inpatient where um, in my mind, you were just you were just literally abused for the first part of it. Um, you were yeah. you were manhandled, you were maligned, you were. Um, and and what, so you don't actually really get into why they were so um, why they mistreated you so badly the second time. Did it ever come out that you had possibly I mean, OK, so I know that you were. Um, I'm not going to say you were violent, but you were, um, I was angry. You were, you were angry. Yeah. Okay. You were angry. I would but, say I was, um, violent with myself. <laughs> like I was biting yeah, my head into a steel door, yeah, to break it down. but I was yeah. never violent towards anyone at the hospital or ever at home anywhere. But, um, yeah, you're right. They were definitely different. The first versus the second. I think the first time it felt in hindsight, it feels to me like the first time, I didn't have a diagnosis and mm -hmm. they, they were treating me very um, kindly and gentle because they were trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And I think my psychiatrist knew pretty much right away, but had to rule out other factors. So did they right. did a number of tests. And, right. and then the second time they knew, they, they knew I was bipolar. They knew I hadn't been taking my medicine properly. So a lot of people, it seemed like they really blamed me for that. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, yes, of course, it was my fault, but I did not have the support or awareness at the time to be compliant with my medication. And like once that was done, I still needed help and they weren't prepared to really give me the same kind of help mm. as a new woman who came in right. without a diagnosis who wanted to find out. So that was hard. And then the other factor that came into play, unfortunately, I went to the hospital on a Friday and... Um, there were no beds available on the mm -hmm. psych ward. So I was kept in the emergency room or like in a, in a room. It really felt yeah. like a cell, like a holding cell. It is, it is a cell. I've been in those two and it's, it basically is a cell. They have, they have nowhere else to put you. And it's just like, it is you. exactly yeah, they throw you in the back. They throw you in the back of the ER, like yeah. where all the, the, the equipment is like, you're talking about the, the, the valves, the valves on the gauges or whatever yeah. it was. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember yeah. those. And, and, as, and a, then, as a manic person, you're like fascinated by it, right? Everything exactly. is so beautiful. And, <laughs> exactly. so and then, and then you, 
Sorry. They covered it up on you because they're thinking, oh my God. Well, and they probably yeah. didn't believe you were a robotics engineer either. But, you know, no. the fact that you're an engineer and you're looking at it, you're probably going, I wonder where that goes to this. Is that for gas? Is that oxygen? That's is that exactly what, is- what I was thinking? I'm trying to figure it all out. And they're just like, what is this crazy woman about to do to me? I think, like, get her out of here. Exactly. But so That's part of so the problem funny. there with being in the ER for such a prolonged period of time is they didn't really know how to handle me. Like, they couldn't, they kept just medicating me more and more and the drugs they were giving me did not work for me and mm-hmm. we just kept it just kept getting worse and worse and I was I had to be there through the weekend until Monday so that's a long period of time to that like- is a long time yeah and then I mean because you're in the you're in the back side of the ER so they kind of forget like you well first they forget you're human because yeah. you come in they, they immediately strip you down they take your phone they take your shoes they 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 just take your humanity away from yeah. you yeah. They lock you up and then they forget. Yeah. So it's like, you know, meal. Well, it's hard to tell what time it is too because there's no clock, but you know, meals are coming. You know, like you have bodily functions that need to be taken care of and they treat you like an animal. Yes. Um, you know, they, they don't give you water because they, they can't leave stuff with you because they're afraid that you're going to harm yourself more than ramming your head into the door, which, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, I can't say I haven't done the same thing. So, I mean, it's like, and I think that, I mean, that's that's the sign of prisoner like it's like what else are you going to do to have gain attention that right you need and stuff, i mean you can't you, know? you have nothing to do literally nothing i was in a room completely by myself with my thoughts that were you know yeah. paranoid and i was hallucinating and like what am yep. i gonna do except try to get out of that room yeah, exactly exactly right i mean it, it's just it's 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 absolutely inhumane yes. and um I know you, I know, I'm not sure if your husband actually did really sue that hospital or not. We don't have to get into any lawsuits or anything, but um, that no, would have probably. Sue. We, the yeah. way I ended it in the book is the way it ended. We haven't had any more okay. contact with them. Yeah. Because I mean, sometimes that's like you, because believe me, there's been times I've been, I've been even inpatient and I've been like writing my, writing my, my book of like everything I'm going to sue them for when right. I get out for every, you know, every misdirection I was given and every yeah. this and every that. And then it's like you get out and you get like a little bit more stable and you're like, well, maybe it wasn't exactly as I remember yeah. it. You know, yeah. maybe, you know, maybe it wasn't that horrific and maybe none of it happened. <laughs> you know, it is well, like uh, that's the har- another the har- part that's really difficult is because you start to doubt yourself. Right. And yep. that was why I was like really adamant about I know this happened because I have bruises like I right. have you know, physical evidence that this occurred, but otherwise it really does get to you like, yeah, well, I guess I was, you know, manic. So maybe it was a delusion, which is what they're of course telling you it was. Well, of course, because I mean, whether, yeah, it it gets sticky because like, you know, I have injured myself, not like self quote unquote self-injured, but have injured myself during manic episodes. And it's just like, oh, well, maybe behind the water heater who came out and you know did yeah. this to me because there was no guy behind the water heater and yeah you know <laughs> you know you know exactly what I'm talking about and it just yeah. it gets like really sketchy and it's like oh man so maybe I really did just lose my mind you know yeah so the first yeah. in the first the first section of the book your first hospitalization um which I found this to be super interesting and I had the page marked down but um are going to find, I think it's page 87. Um, you talk about, so you're in this manic state, but then all of a sudden you just go catatonic. Um, okay. 
yeah, you say that they you're you're in there. They're wheeling you. I guess they're wheeling you out of the oh, emergency. Oh yes, room. when they were taking me up to the psych ward. Yeah, they're the taking you upstairs. And then so was 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 that a medica- was that a medication thing or do you think that was like a relief thing that like finally you were just you were you knew you were going someplace better than the ER or um, yeah it did it- feel like oh great I'm getting out of here and I had no idea really where I was going but it did feel like well it's going to be somewhere better because I have to go somewhere else before I can go home so at least if I go to the somewhere else first then I'm I'm on my way you know I'm not just still stuck in the ER um, I don't think it was quite the medication yet because it was still fairly early. I'd only, I think that first time I got to the hospital on a Monday, um, kind of midday, and I think it was the Tuesday morning I was transferred into mm-hmm. the site upstairs to the psych ward. So I don't think the medication had fully taken effect yet. But I think um, I was really starting to feel overwhelmed and I was starting to feel a bit in denial and in shock about everything that was happening. And that was partly at play as well yeah um because I read that and I was like I've I've I don't know if I've ever gone fully catatonic but then again I don't have like well I kind of do now but I didn't at the time have the support system that you had with like your husband um and even your kids in a way though at that oh yeah they were they were yeah they were really they were young I mean now they're five years older than they were when this first incident happened yeah but they they were they were really young um, I mean, and, and yes, they are a support system in a way, but it's like the trauma, you know, we're, I guess we're going to get into it, but we're not going to get into that much. The trauma on your family, um, you know, the first time around not knowing what was wrong with you and not understanding that, you know, not understanding any of it. And then even just getting the bipolar diagnosis, which I know is a gut shot because when I got it, I was just like, my life is over. That's yeah. all there is to it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my reaction how, as well. Yeah. Right. It, I mean, it, it's a gut shot. I mean, and it's just like, what do I do now? Because you don't, because, you know, everybody says, oh, bipolar, fatal, you know, crazy, you know, and they all go back to Hollywood drama. And it's like, oh, you're going to be doing, you're going to become a, a this and a that. And it's like, um, really? Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I was never this and that before. And just because I have a diagnosis now, I automatically get like lead way to become like, you know, a psychopath, a sociopath. Totally. Yeah. I I mean, the diagnosis was really hard. Um, And I know, I know a lot of people say like, it feels like a relief. It's almost a relief when you get the diagnosis, because then you can, you know, figure out what to do. And I felt the complete opposite. Whenever I've heard that or read that kind of quote or mentality anywhere, I think like, who are these people? Because for me, it was like, <laughs> now what do I do? Like, there's no like manual for how to accept this or how to make other people around me accept it or react well, or, you know, it's, it's, it was so hard. Yeah. It, and then it was really hard for me too. And then, um, actually it was really hard for a long time because not only did I get the bipolar diagnosis, but I also got the borderline personality disorder oh, diagnosis. Wow. yeah that's yeah hard. at the same time oh. and it was like oh my gosh well at least bipolar can be treated with medication and therapy yeah. but the borderline personality is just kind of like wow how do I get through that you know and then yeah. you know things change and, and they have a lot of um co coexisting symptoms for both of them and then they told me I basically grew out of the borderline personality disorder and I was like oh Thanks. <laughs> exactly right it's, it's like, like oh i needed that extra stress right? exactly 
exactly. Exactly. It's like, wow. So, you know, so actually it's kind of funny because as I've gotten older and I was diagnosed at 40, so I've had 17 years now. Okay. Of of living with a diagnosis. Yeah. So I'm now I'm now I'm a you know, I'm almost a mature citizen. Um but um, (laughs) but um I I'm telling you, and then you know, because and I was also I not the issue you had, but I was a functioning drug addict and alcoholic at the time of my diagnosis. So they had to get me yeah. So they had to get me sober. Well, not they. I got my I got myself sober, but I had to get sober in order for them to um be able to actually like figure out the diagnosis. Now I know that you said the second was it the second time that you were in there when the guy or the guy was interviewing you at the end of the book, um, and he asked you all the questions about yeah. substance abuse. And yeah. was that like your that was that the first? I mean, I know you were impatient with people who were quote unquote drug addicts and all that stuff, but was that your first like reality smash that like, man, my by I'm like this is different yeah. for me than it, it, I think yeah it was i think it was one of the first times it really kind of hit me that like i i was not like statistically i'm probably was not expected to be diagnosed bipolar like so when oh, yeah. when i was in the er the first time and the psychiatrist was assessing me he was asking me the same kind of questions but i was manic so i was answering oh, them right. honestly but I, he kept looking to my husband to verify like is this true is it because, you know, statistically, like, there is a high correlation between a late, later onset diagnosis and an alcohol or drug problem. So he was really kind of surprised that I was 40 and I didn't have any um, substance abuse or drug or alcohol problems. So he really was confirming everything with my husband. And I was just kind of, you know, super happy because it was a it was a euphoric mania, that first one. And right. I wasn't really paying that much attention. And then, of course, the double whammy with the diagnosis was that I'm coming out of my mania. So I went into a, a really long depression and I'm trying to come to terms with this bipolar diagnosis on its own. But then I'm also extremely depressed <laughs> trying to yeah, come exactly. to terms with the diagnosis. And then so I wasn't really for a good year, even past my second manic episode, I wasn't really in a mindset where I could even start to wonder about like, well, now, why was he asking me those questions? So then, yeah, when I met my Toronto psychiatrist and he arranged this um, interview with one of his residents mm-hmm. and he was he my Toronto psychiatrist had asked me these kind of questions as well. But also there was a lot going on. You know, I just moved. I wasn't really thinking mm-hmm. about it to that degree. Whereas when I was sitting with this resident answering his questions, I was like, wow, I really don't think I fit this mold. But then it also made me think like maybe they're really isn't a mold. I'm just used to like what society has told me is this like stereotype. And, and because the doctors often do these kind of interviews with a person who is manic or depressed, you know, they're fitting it into that stereotype too. It's hard to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's it's actually right. It's like, he was like, he was almost trying to, well, I'm not saying he did, but I've had some of those incidences too. And it's like, they're trying to pad the numbers to make their report fit what they think it is. Yeah, that could be. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I, like, don't, no. I don't know that he was necessarily. I just think the way he responded, like he was really kind of surprised by my answers that I didn't have any kind of history of an alcohol problem. I think maybe it could be related to because my grandfather was an alcoholic. I was going to say, yeah, because there was a hereditary exactly. strain of that, which you so, could have followed, you know. Yeah, yeah, so I think he was really just trying to verify and 
I mean, he as well, he was interviewing me as practice for an exam. So he's also trying to make sure he's being very thorough. There you go. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah, I mean, it didn't sound like he was trying to, like, goad you or anything. Like, he didn't sound like a jerk. It was just like. Oh, no, yeah. The, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but the statistical side of it is, like, very, well, analytic, you know, and it's like they're just they're just looking at the numbers. They're not looking at the people behind the numbers. It's just, you know, this is this is this, this is this, this is this. And then they fall into all the other categories. And, I mean, you get all that stuff having been, a, you know, an engineer. So, and I yeah. wanted to ask you. You know, having been having been a robotics engineer, which is like very logical, right? Very logical brain, a very analytic brain. Mm-hmm. Um, what did the and this is going to sound really weird to people who don't understand this, but the mania bringing out your creative side or more bringing it out more was that kind of like a ah, I can finally do this and not be expected to be running flow sheets or building components or doing whatever. It's like. I can finally express myself in a way that you really wanted to. No, it's, that's a really interesting question. Um, But I don't, I don't know that. I mean, yes, there were parts of my engineering career that were kind of tedious, like, yeah, Excel and whatever documentation, but a lot of it um, did require a lot of creativity, like in the actual design and building and problem solving. So um, I wouldn't say it's like the same kind of creativity as, you know, creating artwork, <laughs> but right, but it's right. still just like my brain would just sometimes be firing for something and I could just see things in, in a slightly different way than other people. So I actually found it was really helpful to have that creative side when I was building robots. Um, no, I don't know yeah. if I could have fit into like, you know, an accountant or that kind of a also yeah. logical career, but then I don't. I've never been an accountant, so I don't know. Maybe there's a creative side I don't know about. But there was was some really creative (laughs) aspects to being to building robots back when I did it. Yeah, yeah. Were you doing Were you doing AI stuff, or was that like long before? Because I could see that being like super cool, like building, you know, doing AI language and stuff like that. But um, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. I'd say I was. What you do you ever see like? shows i mean we we would see on the news clips especially during covid of like just big robots like manipulating things around like Mm -hmm. platforms or like moving liquids you know when you see like any kind of testing liquids from one petri dish to another like jar that's the kind of stuff i was doing so those are the kind of systems i was building that's cool. I want a dinosaur. Can you build me a dinosaur shoes for my birthday? <laughs> you should come to Alberta. There's a lot of like interesting dinosaur stuff outside of Calgary. <laughs> I might just have to do that. I've got all my vaccinations and everything up to date. So I have to get a little passport and head up to Canada and do that. Um, That would be awesome, actually. Yeah. Okay. So at one point in the book, um, you're talking about um, your weight, your weight gain, which yeah. I don't it was, I, I don't know if it was severe or not, but it was enough for you to notice. Yeah. Um, was that straight from the lithium or was that because of the lithium? And then, um, you know, so I know some medications like make you like a zombie and I've not been on lithium. I've been on Lamictal, which is like lithium light baby lithium. But yeah. um, what, what do you think? And, and aside the fact from the weight gain, what were the other side effects that you experienced while you were, um, you know, first starting medications? Yeah, sure. So the weight gain, um, I'm not entirely sure if it was just the lithium or at the start, I was also taking olanzapine, which is an antipsychotic and also mm-hmm. can have weight gain. So it could have been either one or a combination of both. 
Um, I'm still on lithium. I stopped the olanzapine until my second manic episode. And then a few months after that, I stopped it. I, we I was weaned off by my psychiatrist. And But I've been on the lithium for about five years. And I don't know if, like I did gain, um, I noticed I gained weight. Like everything was just a bit more snug kind of weight gain. Right. But um, but then I also was in my 40s and <laughs> and then yeah, COVID hit that. and I gained a little yeah. more weight. And so now everything yeah. is like more than snug. But so I, <laughs> I don't know if that's just the lithium or everything else that's been in play since I started <laughs> with lithium. But um, some of the side effects of the olanzapine, those were the ones I really noticed. And once I weaned off of the olanzapine, um, they went away. They were things like, I had uh, like brain fog and I'm sure you've heard of people mm -hmm. brain fog. Oh, yeah. So that was one of the ones where I was just kind of in a cloud all day. I couldn't think through things. I wrote about this in my book because I started a new job um, shortly after I was released yeah. from the hospital the first time and I couldn't understand anything on the Excel file. Whereas like I used to write code for a living, like it, Excel came easy to me many for many years, but all of a sudden I was on these drugs and I couldn't understand anything. So that was a bad one to try to accept. I also felt a lot of like um, muscle tremors, most noticeably mm -hmm. like in my arms or in my hands where things would just yeah. kind of shake. Um, and then I was really down, but I also was depressed because of right. like the, you know, the, the bottom half of the curve after a manic episode is Oh yeah. So yeah. I don't know if that was related to the the drugs or not. The lithium, the one thing that's really stuck um all these years like still 5 years later is uh that I have a dry mouth. And right. that one I know it sounds like nothing. It sounds fairly insignificant when I complain about it to like but it's not. But yeah. it's, it's very frustrating sometimes and it can cause other issues because then I'm drinking too much liquid and then I'm awake through the night and then exactly. I'm having trouble sleeping and then that's brutal for a person with exactly. and then I did also experience more acne um which was either again either the lithium or the olanzapine and I don't know as well if that was age-related but it certainly only started happening after I started taking the medication. And that seems to have calmed down now. But I also notice now uh, that's linked to dairy, but I never had a problem oh, with dairy before. Yeah. So, you know, you don't know how any of the stuff is yeah. really related to each other or not. I get that. So um, for anybody that's not um, taking lithium and um, – what are, I know there's, I've not been on lithium, but I know there's compliance that you need to maintain when you're on lithium, which um, include what liver, is it liver testing or like every so often to make sure that you're not getting toxicity from the lithium? Correct. You're good. <laughs> so um, for me, when I was in the hospital, they were checking my blood, of course, regularly. I think it was probably daily, um, if not every three days to make sure I wasn't, it wasn't toxic. But because um, at the, that time, the first time they're trying to figure out my dose. And so it's really yeah. important to be really on top of it. And they it was fine. My, I never uh, I never had any problems until after I reduced my medicine. So the second time I went manic, it was because I cut my dose from 900 milligrams to 600 milligrams. Yeah. And one of the reasons was because my doctor and I, my psychiatrist and I had talked about doing that just a few weeks later and I just didn't want to wait anymore. I was kind of fed up. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I thought, well, if I cut it to just two thirds, I'll see if there's a problem and I can go back <laughs> up. 
so you know it was very like logical <laughs> like I was justifying everything but of course I went manic and by that point just bumping back like bumping up the lithium didn't oh make sense I had to go yeah. back on the olanzapine and I was hospitalized yeah. and so because of that my psychiatrist in Calgary um gave me more lithium he went from my standard 900 that I'd been doing the full year until I went down he went up to 1200 so he like Ooh bumped it up quite significantly and then we moved back to Toronto and I didn't have a psychiatrist I had to oh. get in line right in Ontario and anywhere it's hard to get mental oh, gosh so I was in line and luckily I found a psychiatrist fairly fast um I can't remember I think it might have been October maybe September or October when I saw him and he ordered these the blood tests for me right away mm -hmm. and my blood levels were toxic like he was really surprised that I wasn't feeling any kind of side effects like nausea. He really thought I would have been experiencing nausea at a minimum, if not actually vomiting and anything. Right. Like or... So that was very lucky that I, I managed to find him and, um, and he figured that out right away and he immediately lowered it. And then he was having me do, I think it was monthly testing for the first yep. months after that. And now I only have to go, I'm actually a little more um, concerned. Like I, I'm a little more on top of like asking about it because he says I only need it now once a year, now that we've figured out my stable amount. Um, huh. take. So he says, because I've stabilized and it's been a, a good amount for the last, I guess, three years, it's not as much of a concern to test all that often. So I'll usually go twice a year. I try to go, but it's like, yeah, my last, I don't know, I guess three years worth of tests. It's been fine. That's really good. I know. Cause, um, a lot of people, cause you know, I'm on like bi some bipolar groups and stuff like that on social media and, um, people are terrified of lithium. Yeah. And I'm not, people are yeah. terrified of lithium. I'm not really sure why I, whenever I try to research it, I don't get very far. I feel like what I read is like, there's not all that much known about it, but it could cause problems, but it might not. <laughs> so well, well, that's like any medication. You know, I'm on Lamictal, which can cause a um a deadly rash, like if you don't catch it. Um, okay. And it's like one like one percent of one percent or something like that. You know, can yeah. have that happen to them. But that's the one thing that you see in the red box, which is glaring at you, like oh, yeah. this could happen, to you. and it's so weird. You know, yeah. and it's like what you're talking about the um the tardive dyskinesia or whatever, however you yeah, say that. I know what you're talking about. Tardive. Yeah. Like, I don't think you actually you may have had like start of it, but I mean these these and I just want to say this to the posse out there, these sm small um side effects that you can get now. Of course, you're always going to contact your doctor immediately if you start feeling anything that is like super weird. And when you first right. start taking your medication, guaranteed, you're going to have a headache. You're going to feel nauseous. You're probably going to have some diarrhea. You're going to feel bloated. You're just, you're not going to feel yourself right. because the medication is taking you out of this state that you've been in into a more quote unquote normal state. Um, but like, you know, if like the tremors and stuff, they're kind of, they're kind of normal, you know? Um, so I want I want you guys to realize and by listening to Sharice also that um, the medication is here to help you not hurt 100%. you. Hundred percent. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, it really hammered at home for me because I reduced my medication and was hospitalized and had such a terrible experience. It really hammered at home that I need this lithium to stay stable and avoid all of that. 
And a big part of that is for my kids because the second time around, it was so awful for them. Um, and that was really hard. I mean, it was hard, but it was also motivating. And today, every so often I ask my, my doctor, should I lower my dosage? How, what do you think about, like, could I be weaned off of it? And he always, he kind of, he's very like, no, it's fine. <laughs> like, and I don't really get a lot from him, but I also really trust him. And I know he's told me stuff right. in the past where I'm like, okay, I can believe this guy. So if right. he thinks right. it's fine, I feel like I, and I, and if I know I need it, then I feel like I don't need to worry about it. I don't see well, that's bad. To that's, yeah. That's the thing about a mental health diagnosis is that it's not like you have, um, I don't know, like say, and I hate to compare because it it's, it's not similar, but it is similar. Like say you have diabetes and it's like, if you just decide to go off your insulin, you're immediately going to get results. You're yeah. going to take your blood test and you're going to be like, Oh, I need my medication. Like, you, you, gotta, you know, uh, it's funny. It's well, it's not funny, but it's such a coincidence. You mentioned that. So you saw yesterday, I posted that I finished writing my new book yes. and it's a story for kids because there were hardly, I couldn't find any really appropriate books for my kids when I was going through it. And there's a scene where like the kids like, yeah, they don't want to take their medication. And part of it is just, I think, fear because we don't really know what it's doing to us. And, True. you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fear with that comes with that, of course. True. But I write a, I wrote a scene where um, one of the kids is talking about her grandmother and how she had to take her diabetes medication. <laughs> and like, it's just exactly what you just said. Like, it's that exact example. Like if you had a heart condition, you would take heart medication. Exactly. You know, if there were potential side effects down the road, which I don't know, maybe there are with lithium. I haven't found anything whenever I've tried to research, but you know, if it makes today like bearable, <laughs> like you can right. keep living and keep providing and supporting your family, then exactly. it's probably worth it. I would take that heart medication. Exactly. I mean, it's just like the thing with the with the mental health diagnosis is that it's like way late after the fact that you realize that, oh man, maybe I really just should have stayed on this, you know, yeah. and maybe I maybe I wasn't as okay as I thought I was because yes. I mean if you've listened to the show at all over the years um I am I have been the most non-compliant patient that my doctors could ever hope to meet and um and I've been hospitalized every time for it you know and um and you know now I'm kind of in a situation where compliancy is um well, it's really necessary. You know, first of all, I, I've been in the game for 17 years. So it's like, you know, if I, if I don't know all the downfalls by now, you know, knock on wood, then, um, you, you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not yeah. doing my job right. You know? And it's like, and if I decided to go non-compliant again, um, this time I might not come back from it because exactly. each time, you know, each time it's a little worse and my delusions and hallucinations are a little more real and, um, the coming back to um, medication, it's not always a guarantee because from what I understand is every time that you take yourself off it and you go back on it, you may not have the same results that you had the prior four times that you did that. And it may decide it just doesn't want to work this time. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then what do I do? You know? And then, so, exactly. Uh, and you know, also and I think that I've read that the episodes can become so much more severe as time goes on. Yeah. So like my first episode was fun. Like it was, you know, exactly. it was great. I've had confidence. I was enjoying myself. Exactly. Everything was beautiful. Like it was wonderful. So then when I was thinking, oh, what's the big deal? If I go off, what's the big problem with that? I'll just be more productive again and <laughs> not sleep yeah. as much. And then my second episode was just 
awful. It was just terrifying. I was paranoid. I was just angry and irritable. And I was like, in hindsight, oh, <laughs> that's what could happen. Right? So right? it's really not worth like risking my medication or not being compliant or I find as well, just having structure is really key. I definitely agree being compliant and taking medication is critical. And, and then I think one of the, the most important things for me is just being structured in how I wake up, like what time I wake up and, you know, getting out of bed, you just doing all the things that, which I guess it yeah. comes back to compliance as well. It basically does. It's just, you know, good, good mental health care. Um, mm -hmm. And not every, you know, not everybody has that structure we had, like, you know, not everybody has an Eric in their life who is going to mm -hmm. be there to pick up the pieces for you. And um, if you want to give him a shout out, you know, now is the time because <laughs> I, you know, I, I promise you that 90% of the audience would love to have an Eric in their life who, um, though he was pretty disappointed with you the second time you went off your medication and, uh, you know, you really can't blame him, you know, looking no. back on it, <laughs> like you really, but he's still, he stuck it out. He stuck it out for you, for your kids, for your family. And, um, that's a superhero right there. Yeah. You said it, Don, there's not really much for me to give him a shot, <laughs> but I will, because you're absolutely right. Um, he, he really did not know anything about mental illness before, my diagnosis. And he's like, he's someone who is very guarded with his emotions and he's very stable. He's always, that's what I kept saying to him through my first episode was you're like a rock. You're just so like a rock. <laughs> you're just so stable. Like he just, right. he doesn't have these, I'd always had um, seasonal depression or just things affected me. So he really had no understanding um, based on his experiences of how to even comprehend what I was going through, never mind what I needed, but he still just did it. Like he still just got everything done that needed to be done. He, you know, he recognized I needed to go to the hospital when I was like yelling at him that I didn't need to go to the hospital. And he took me and he was like, he arranged just so much practical stuff, like for our family. Like we didn't have a lot of, we didn't have any family in Calgary. So we didn't have much support that we were aware of until after the fact when people were just really helpful but yeah. he did that all he he did all of that while still working and trying to you know keep going like himself mentally with all of this stress yeah. so yeah he was like a rock star for sure um that was like the first time and then like we get through it and a year later because i didn't take my medication <laughs> I, of course he reacted and i don't think he like had any understanding even that it could have happened, it could happen again. Like, I don't think he had right. just, anyway, I, and since then, I mean, there are some things I wrote about in the book where he would talk to me about it and try to see what he could do to help me and really just try to understand it from my perspective, which like, it's, it was amazing. I, I agree. I'm sure it was fundamental for my stability and to get as far as I have come. Um, five years down the road to have yeah. him there supporting me and even supporting me in writing the book. I mean, there's a lot of like fairly personal information in the book. That's what I was going to say. It's like, there is some, some, yeah, some very um, intimate details in the book about your life. And um, I mean, he, he's a trooper, you know, I mean, 
I, I just got to give him a big shout out. So Eric, whoop, whoop, you rock it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if that's really his name or if you changed his name too. No, I changed his name. His, his name yeah. and the kids' names, We cha- I changed it. I figured that, but anyway, dude, doctors. you're awesome. I didn't want to yeah. put any personal details. I figured, I figured that, but he, know, he knows who he is. So He I'm, knows. He should know by now. <laughs> so, so I was going to say that, like, during the writing of the book, I mean, I mean, there's, I've, I've been in the process of writing my book for forever now, it seems like. And um, it's hard. It's, really like, hard. Really, yeah. it's hard. So, I mean, on top of the manic episodes and then the time away from the family while you got, you know, got well. And then, you know, coming back up out of it and moving and then writing a book and then your husband's job. And I mean, I mean, you you've really pulled it together, Cherise. You know, I mean, I, I give I give you great credit, too, because. Having done that, I know how hard it is to restart your life after each episode, and um, and you're killing it, girl. Aww, thank you, Don. You're welcome. How what what's your book? How far along are you in your book? Um, I've got the dot com bot, and I'm- <laughs> <laughs> That's a good start. And, um, it was a good start, and um, I'm about like a you know because things got really kind of shuffled up this year for me, so I'm like about halfway through it. But now I'm like depending. I'm just thinking I'm going to do a trilogy. Oh, and, wow. like, <laughs> that's ambitious. <laughs> but good for you. I like it. Yeah. Before this breakdown and before that breakdown, and right. you know, and I've had I'm on tap for a couple publishers, you know, and it's just where I'm at right now. It's really hard. Like I have I have a tight schedule right now, and and like just trying to fit things in outside of this discipleship schedule are. I'm not going to say near impossible, but it, it takes a lot of, um, it takes a lot of thought to do it. Yeah. So I'm just thinking, I'm going to write the book after this year of discipleship Smart. and then, um, and just pound it out. But I do have the dot-com bot and it's, it's the name of the book. Cause I already have the dot-com bot. It's called the delusion is vast. Oh, so, nice. um, yeah, so it'll, it'll happen, but um, I'll, yeah, I'm going to hit you up. Right. Yeah. I'm going to hit you up like in a little, like maybe in like six months or so and be like, Sharice, give me your outline. How did you do it? What did you, did you Yeah, like I have some tips. I'd be happy to talk to you about those. And right. I've learned a thing or two over the, <laughs> over yeah, the five years of getting that one done. And yeah, but so I'm curious. Awesome. I'd love to read your story. Yeah. Well, it's in the works. So, um, it will happen. And now I have an, I have an author friend, everybody. So see now she can prod me along to do this. Yeah. So um, honestly, that was so helpful for me. <laughs> Having author friends was really motivating. It really, it helps. Right. And it's so, I mean, I have author friends, but not author friends who have written books about, you know, my diagnosis. Right. So um, right, yeah, right. we'll, we'll chat about that in six months. You're definitely going to be on my, um, on my um, list of top people here. So <laughs> I look forward to All right. it. <laughs> As we come to the end of this, I have a bunch of questions I didn't get to ask you, but that's okay. Um, Cause you can always come back on again. Uh, is there anything that you want to leave? Actually, I want to ask you my Pat question and then we'll get to that. So what was your epiphany moment in this whole thing? Oh, that's a great question. I think I had a few. I remember okay. Yeah. The first one I would say was when we were on our road trip. So we went the first time I was hospitalized. Um, after that, I had my depression and that was starting in May. So in August, we went on a road trip and I'd been so down ever since May. And I was reading that book, The Art of Racing in the Rain. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you've read it or seen the movie, you know, it's it's pretty devastating, but it's also hopeful. Right. Right. And 
that kind of just made me like, whoa, <laughs> this is not so bad. Like, I'm not dying. Like, I'm, I'm right here. I'm on this vacation with my family. Like, it made me really like, okay, so I can move on from this. Like, I can, you know, some, you know, work at it and figure it out. And so little by little, it was kind of a two steps forward, one steps back one step back every every so often but that way I would say it was my first one and it also kind of reminded me to turn to books because I mm -hmm. hadn't been researching anything and if I had it was just google and I was getting very sad about whatever yeah. I was learning about bipolar one so it turned it reminded me to look for like memoirs and stories of inspiration mm -hmm. and people who had similar experiences if I could find them and I started to find some some stuff that was really um helpful for me. One book, actually, some of your listeners might be interested in. It's called Fast Girls by Susie Favor Hamilton. I read she, that. It's such a good book. Oh, wow. So good, right? And that was one yeah. of the first ones that I was like, okay, like this is not going to be so bad. Like I can do this. Exactly. It's all right. So exactly. yeah, I think those are always, and then my kids are always really a turning yeah. point for me when I when I need help, they're always yeah. at least, then, you know, I was very wise because I had three children. So at least one of them could provide me with some kind of an right? whenever I needed one. Right. Yeah. I mean, your kids, your kids seemed like they, they were wonderful. And even though they were traumatized too, they, they seemed very resilient. And um, that's yeah. probably, you know, that's probably due to you and your husband, just um, having a solid foundation for them, you know, even in the, even in the, chaos of the, the manic episode break that you know your family was still pretty solid so i mean again yeah. kudos to you two you guys oh, you know thank you, you. i think actually, even in your we were really i was really lucky in being diagnosed late because i think a lot of people do struggle with the decision of can i have kids if they have right. an early diagnosis and i like 100 percent would have questioned that and i don't know what i would have decided i don't know what would have swayed me in that decision making but like definitely I can have kids like I can have kids I'm a very good mother they're very lucky yeah. to have me I'm very lucky to have them and I'm so glad that that was never even a question that I had to consider I completely agree and then on to one more side um <clears throat> and this is just um this is just because I did it too. When I first got diagnosis diagnosed, I did find um, Stephen Fry to be yeah. extremely helpful. So I'm, I, I can't remember the name of it. It was a two part video um, that he did and I can't think of the name of it, but you can find it on YouTube guys. So if you want to find it, it's Stephen Fry, S T E P H E N F R Y. He is a British um, comedian. He was um, Monty, Monty Python, I think, or something like that. And um, he is super open about his bipolar diagnosis. Um, as are many yeah, other celebrities quite, now. He's you know. quite entertaining as well. Yeah. And he also, I, I recently was listening to, you know, that Calm app? I don't know if you yes. Yes. listen yep. to it. But so there are sleep stories in there that, and he reads one of them and his voice is just so soothing. <laughs> it's like, how can you be this hilarious entertainer and right? have this soothing British accent that just puts me to sleep? So, yeah. He's, he's amazing. Yeah. He's, he's, he's definitely... Um, he's definitely one of the superheroes in the bipolar world and having had it now for well decades. Right. And I mean, he still, yeah. he doesn't hide it. And there's lots of celebrities you guys can look to if you're looking for someone to, um, you know, look to see that they've made it through and I'm not going to get into the names of them all. Cause I'm not going to promote all these, all see all these people. Cause there's a bunch of them. So, um, there's so many, yeah. There are. Which is, it, that was also really 
wonderful to see people prominently like not hiding it yeah and it's gotten better i mean it's gotten so much better over the past i'm gonna say even 10 years where yeah the the openness about having a diagnosis it's like there's no shame to it Mm -hmm. anymore there's no shame to asking for help Mm -hmm. um you know i mean and as my posse knows man i i encourage them to get help um and it's not a sign of weakness it's actually a sign of strength to realize that you need help to seek Mm -hmm. it and then to come out from it resilient and stronger than when you went into it definitely so um so Sharice, um, this is the last question and then I'll let you um, promote whatever it is that you need to um, or you would like to promote your new book or this book or, um, you know, anything else that you're up to. Um, what and I know this is kind of weird because it's like you're not supposed to you're not supposed to create your own legacy. But at the end of your trip here on Earth and all that, what is it that you would most like to be remembered for? Ooh, that is a good question too. You are full. Of, you've been doing this a while. <laughs> I've done this before, you know. <laughs> yeah, once or twice maybe. Once or um, twice. You know, there's this quote. I remember Maya Angelou. I don't know where she said it or wrote it, but it's something. I'm probably going to say it wrong, but it's something like that. People will forget what you said. They'll forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. Right. So I just hope. I can make people feel better than what they were feeling if what they were feeling was not great. <laughs> That's what I, I hope to leave as a legacy. I think you're succeeding at that. So do you want to, um, what do you, is there anything that you want to let them know that you're up to or? Um... Um, well, maybe I'll just share my website, which mm-hmm. is just my name. It's just sharicejewel.com. And then if anyone wants to find out more about anything I'm up to, it's all on there. <laughs> cool thanks cool, cool. So, oh you're very welcome again the book is uh crazy memoir of a mom gone mad um it can be found on amazon and probably all the other book places that you can get books at um i'm guessing right like uh a lot of them you can and it's also that's okay. on my website too oh, get it through her website then get it directly ask for her to autograph it and um <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> And um, I guess that's it for today. Um, it's been awesome. I knew once we got this interview under, finally got it, you know, straightened out that it would be a wonderful interview. And you are more than welcome to come back when the second book, um, even before that. But when you, you know, want to do some um, some talking about the second book, which is about a teenager, right, with bipolar. So. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of. Okay. So yeah. Kinda. So there you go, guys. So there's the lead in for it. But first of all, go buy this one, check it out, read it. Um, she's amazing. She's an amazing author. Um, she's an amazing lady. And I am so honored to have had you on the show, Sharice. Thank you, so, Don. I'm so honored to be here. It was really wonderful to connect with you. Yeah, it really was. And I'm glad we finally got to talk. And I will actually be hitting you up in a, you know, a couple months or so about your tips for me getting my book out there. And then yeah. you can interview me. Then you can interview me on my podcast. That sounds awesome. I can't wait okay. to learn more. Yeah, you've got a great title. So <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. All right. So everybody, that's Sharice Jewel. Um, check her out. And Sharice, you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thanks again. I will. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.